What's happening in the canine industry? For all the latest news, views and expert opinions, stay right here for the canine paradigm. You'll hear from industry leaders, experts, doyens of the industry, learned colleagues, movers and shakers, and the odd Randy guest. Get the latest insights and expert advice from both here and abroad from the people in the know. Now, here are your hosts, Glenn Cook and Pat Stewart. And I'm Lofty Fulton, and I'm out of here. Welcome back to the Canine Paradigm. This is episode four. Uh, I'm your host, Pat Stewart, and I'm joined here with Glenn Cook. Welcome back, everyone. This week, I wanted to do a little bit of a reference podcast on something that I find myself talking to people about a lot and commenting on a lot and sending the information to people. And I just thought, why don't we just make a podcast about it so I can tell people about it this way and spread it around. And, and I also am a little bit interested in like a group experiment and want more people to do this and see how it goes for them because... I've had big success in this and want to see if other people have the same. We were watching online on a, another Facebook group a while ago where people were involved in a challenge. Perhaps you can put your own one forward after we talk a little bit about it. Yeah, uh, maybe. I could figure out a way to turn it into a challenge. Yeah, yeah. well, it's actually, I, I think it's grounds for a good challenge because it, it's quite a good project. Mm-hmm. And um, as you said, I see you talking to a lot of people about it all the time and them asking you, how do you do it? What's it for? What's the processes behind it without further ado what's the deal box feeding so <laughs> <laughs> so it's as simple as just feeding the dog from a really big box okay that's it right so, so it's a technique i was taught uh, by bart and he uses this with puppies to start them in their nose work and to make a really strong dog unbreakable why because it's to take the dog to the absolute limit of his genetic ability in toughness. Mm-hmm. Um, toughness meaning that the dog has strength in himself, courage and intensity and tenacity for whatever you need the dog to have. So if anyone's been following you online on your Facebook page, uh, there's been videos of you while you've been raising Remy and some of your mm-hmm. other dogs and Sam as well, I yeah, believe. Yeah, so Sam did the same. We, we learned at the same time and we both had uh, – like a 12-week-old, oh, probably less, maybe 10-week-old puppy when we learned it. Mm-hmm. And so we implemented it with those uh, dogs, which are now over a year old. And I've been doing it with basically every dog I encounter along the way. Yep. Over the last 12 months with some pretty astounding results. The way that the system, as I'll describe it, is a little bit slow and it can be a li- bit laborious. Mm. And so not everyone sticks with it. But with everyone that I've had stick with it, um, I've had a 100% success rate. Well, people don't stick with many things that take a while. Yeah, that is a problem. I mean, anything that uh, takes a little effort, it's like learning a musical instrument or getting fit at the gym. People basically bow out of things and we practically live in an age of instant gratification. So people want things immediately. Exactly. So I have seen firsthand you doing this exercise. I've seen the benefits of it and I've seen you show it to other people who have been interested in it and I've seen the benefits that they've gained from it as well. Let's start from the start. How do we start it? The only apparatus that you need is a box. Now, I use a wooden box that I made. 
and the internal dimensions of that are 30 centimeters by 30 centimeters. Cause I use the box for lots of other things later on. And that the 30 centimeters is relevant because I put my clack clack board inside of it later. Should it be vary from size to size, like smaller dog, bigger dog or anything like that, or doesn't really matter? It doesn't particularly matter. So long as it's big enough that the whole dog's head can fit into it mm-hmm. and a grown dog's head can fit into it. With the puppies, it's tempting to use a smaller box, but mm-hmm. the, the bigger the box and the harder it is for a puppy to get into the box, the the better the outcome. Yep. So long as it's achievable. It can't be so big that it's impossible for the puppy to get into. Okay. So it starts out with this box and it has to have solid sides. You, the dog can't see through the sides. So I just use a timber box. It's nothing fancy. I'll put on our Facebook page, the Canine Paradigm, there'll be a folder called... Um, Episode four, mm-hmm. I'll put a photo of the box in there. I'll even put the dimensions and everything if anyone wants to make one the same. Um, and I'll probably put some video like what we've discussed of how to start the dog in the box and that sort of thing. So 30 by 30 in dimension, how tall? Same, 30 high. Okay, 30 That's high, 30 wide. box. Yep. Right. People who have... I've, with a base. With a base, yeah. Yep. So I've had people just use you know, random containers they have around the house, they get the same effect. Yep. That's what I use. The idea is you just start feeding the dog in the box. Now, you'd be surprised how many pet dogs, when you throw their food into a box other than the bowl, and it is a little bit challenging to get into, it's not comfortable for them to eat, mm. do not eat. Yep. And it's remarkable. You can even There's some dogs that you can even throw treats into there straight out of your hand trying to lure them in and throw it into the box and they will not put their head in that box to eat. Mm-hmm. So that tells me... Fear of the unknown. Yeah, exactly, right? Mm -hmm. So that tells me immediately that we don't have the gasoline. We can't... There's really... We stop training there. Describe that word, the gasoline. The gasoline. Because that's a Bart phrase. Yeah, it is a Bart phrase. It's uh, the power to continue, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, when I put my foot, as he says, when I put my foot on the accelerator, I want a car that goes. I don't want a car that I have to push. Yep. Right? So that's really what I mean by gasoline. So all you do is feed the dog in the box. Mm Mm-hmm. For as long as you need to, you just put the whole the dog's whole meal in the box and let the dog eat the whole meal. What happens is when the dog gives up eating, you mm-hmm. take the box away. So if you've got a dog that stuffs its head straight in the box and eats the whole meal, and you do this just in whatever environment the dog's usually comfortable in eating, right? Yep. You got a dog that stuffs its head in, eats the whole meal, you're ready to go into the next step. I am often shocked at the amount of dogs that don't do that, mm. um, that – eat a little bit, look up, check the environment and then go back to eating, that's enough to cancel there. When there's no distractions, there's nothing going on, if it's just in the dog's own home, he should eat the whole meal from within the box. And that is when you can achieve that, that's when you're ready for the next step. So if your dog's eating, he's got his head in the box and he looks up and scans around or leaves the box for any period of time, you take the box away. Mm -hmm. Got to take a breath, I'm talking too much. (laughs) (laughs) So once you've got to that, you're on ready for the next step. Yep. The next step is making it a little bit more difficult to eat in the box. I might do that with like a putting the box on a bozu ball or an unstable surface. Mm -hmm. Anything that can make it just more difficult for the dog to get their head in. Not unachievable and not even really like a serious challenge, just slightly more difficult. So this stage would primarily come after you've proofed the dog in eating out of the box. It's quite yeah. happy to do it, keeping That's its right. head down, maintaining a, a solid behaviour in the in the box. That's right. And then moving on to unstable or, different, or variations in surfaces. Exactly. So for a young puppy, 
that knows no better. Yep. Um, like my dog, when I, the first time I fed him from the box, I went to pretty much stage three in the first feeding because he dove straight into the whole box. Because he could handle it. Yeah. Hmm. He was, there wasn't an issue for him. So, and you just move along at the pace that's relevant to you and your dog. Which is, again, it's one of those things that training shouldn't be delayed if the dog is capable of doing it because it's movement is dictated by the dog. The dog tells us, I'm, I can go further, I can do more, I can endure more. Exactly. And I think that's one of the reasons that a lot of people don't stick with this program is that when they say, how long is this going to take? I want my dog. What we're building towards here is the, the dog to be as strong as possible. Mm. And they, that's what I, I know that I want him to be the absolute maximum strength he can possibly be. Most people don't want that. They just want their dog to overcome a particular thing. So their dog, say, is at the vet and is scared or whatever, yep. um, and they want the dog to go to the vet. They don't think, okay, we need the dog as strong as possible. They just need this one obstacle overcome. That's an issue because there's always another obstacle. But people then want to know how long till I get to overcome that obstacle, and there is no answer to that. Mm. That's that's up to, first of all, how strictly they can implement the program, but then the dog. There, there, is, no, there is no idea of he's going to take this long. You can get an idea when it's happening, but there is no there is no set yeah. uh, time. So anyway, step one is just having the dog eat their meal normally in the box. Step two is making it a little bit more difficult to get into the box. Now, an example I use is, you know the, or not example I use, what I do do is, uh, you know those Reebok step? The, yep. So the the actual square part of those, if you mm-hmm. turn that up on my box, if you turn that upside down and put it on the top of the box, it makes the box like a funnel and harder to get the dog's head in, and especially for a young puppy, they have to scramble and actually get into the box. Yep, I'm seeing it. So for my dog, I had that on the Bozu ball with the box on the Bozu ball so it rattles around and is mm-hmm. unstable, uh, and then that rebox step on the top. So that usually falls and twists, and the dog then gets quite entangled in it, and he eats out of the box. So all that is him enduring a little bit of hardship, nothing serious, just a little bit of difficulty mm-hmm. and learning that, I have to take this opportunity to eat this food, making getting to the food a little bit difficult. And as he's doing that, if he stops eating and gives up and says it's too hard, we just take the box away, all right, and full of food, and that food is gone for the day. That's This is training with existential food, the food that yep. the dog, like his actual His meal. normal day-to-day exactly. meal, yep. He gets that taken away from him and he gets another opportunity later. But he's still, if your dog's budget is 100 kibbles per day, mm-hmm. he only gets the opportunity at 100 kibbles a day. If tomorrow, if today he only eats 60 of the 100, tomorrow he gets 100 again. He doesn't get 160. Because so as Bart would say, you're training him not to be a sissy. Yeah, exactly. Well, that's the whole point of this <laughs> is making the dog as strong as possible and not be a sissy. Um, so now the dog is eating out of the box as much as we put in there and enduring a little bit of difficulty to get it. Maybe the box is unstable. There's a, a, a bit of difficulty around the top. Maybe it's slippery. Whatever you can come up with and whatever your dog is going to be okay with but a little bit hesitant of, right? That's the idea is to just really incrementally build the difficulty eating this. And you're still doing this at home with no distractions other than what you're implementing yourself. You mm. control all these yourself. It really comes down to being a great social habitual program with your dog. 100%. And most people know when we're talking in training terms, we determine that to, well, the outcome is trying to achieve ultimate generalisation. Exactly. So the dog is bomb-proof. Exactly. Hmm. And that's what this program really does build towards. Yep. So now the dog knows I eat out of the box, all my food is coming from the box, and most dogs, especially if there's no scars, if this is a dog that you're just starting doing this on, uh, this is a couple of days. Like mm. I said, with my 
the dog I've got at the moment, Remco, he, um, this is first session. I was able to get this far in with first him. He never looked out. So now we start putting in, we go back to get rid of those initial distractions, the, bog, the initial difficulties. The box just goes back on the floor again. Yep. And we only put in a portion of the dog's meal into the box, right? And as he eats that, we stand over the top and as he finishes the last, say, piece of kibble that's in there, and start sniffing for the next one, that sniff is rewardable and mm-hmm. we throw in another piece. And he eats it and he sniffs for another one. We hear the sniff because it's kind of echoed in the box and we throw in another piece. To the, get to the point where we're actually rewarding every time the dog has his head in the empty box and sniffs. So we go as many sessions as we need to uh, in order for the dog to understand that the, even the empty box mm-hmm. is a cue to be fed and he can stick his head in the empty box and sniff, breathe in. Every time you hear him breathe in, a piece of food comes in. Now, this is where a little bit of skill is necessary because you have to, first of all, hear that the dog is sniffing. And previously, when the box was empty, the food's done, right? So mm. you have to get food in there. Quick, smart. Quick enough mm. that he realizes it's coming more. I guess by the time you've got to that stage where you're working that at that level with the dog, you're becoming quite intimate to how the dog's behaving. 100%, uh, especially with his head in the box. And you're cueing on what to listen to yourself. Exactly. Mm. And at this point, I should mention as well is if you want to take training to another step and do, say, tracking or anything like that, mm-hmm. this is or nose works or whatever, this is the perfect opportunity to put your article for tracking or your scent if you're going to do nose works or whatever into that box because the dog is sniffing looking for food and you can at that point control what he's smelling while he's doing You can imprint him on the scent, yeah. Then also that item that you put in the box, be it your scent, becomes the cue as to whether the restaurant's open and restaurant's closed. Mm -hmm. One of the setbacks I found early in doing this was that you get dogs that just leave their head in the box for ages because there's so much value in the box and they realise in this step that if I just keep my head in the box, the bimbo will throw food in and bring it to me, right? Uh, the dog just thinks he can control you with it. The bimbo. <laughs> Again, another part term. But when you learn it from him, you explain it the way he does. Having an article in there, anything that gives the indication, yes, the restaurant's open, and when the article's not in there, the restaurant's closed, means that you don't end up with a dog that just keeps his head in the box nonstop. Uh, that didn't occur to me in the early stages because I don't keep my box, I keep it with all my training gear, and the dog doesn't have access to it except when we're training. But then yep. I had a client who lived in an apartment and there was nowhere to put the box out of the way. And I was like, oh, okay, here's a problem that we need to overcome. Mm. So an article in the box, anything that tells the dog it's on or it's open or closed. And for me, it's just a metal washer. I actually started with a like a small glass jar, yep. right? Now just use a metal washer because it's an easy thing to use in an article indication. The dog got his head in the box and as he's moving around sniffing, He's likely to encounter the washer and when he does, that's when you throw the food in, right? So we close in from just sniffing in the box to actually sniffing the article that you've put in there and you trickle the food in. So you're not clicker marking him at any stage? No, not at all. Now, at this point, it'd be where it'd be handy to have a marker and um, a marker being something you can tell the dog like a a click or a yes reward or whatever. You're on behaviour. Yeah, because you need to be able to bring him out of the box. Mm Mm-hmm. If you don't have a marker, if you just a if you've got a pet and you haven't done any of that, you can just say finished when it's over. Yep. Because so you need some sort of termination cue yeah, for the exactly dog. some okay. way for the dog to know. Okay, I've had my head in this box yep. long enough. And the way I usually end a session is I'm clicking. Sorry, I'm throwing food into the box. He's sniffing. He's sniffing. 
And then I click and he comes out of the box and he comes to me and then I take, he gets food from me, mm-hmm. the last few bits, and I take my article out of the box. And when he goes back, he, which he inevitably does, he runs back, sticks his head in there, realizes there's no article, the restaurant shut and gives up, right? End of the session. Yep. We've got the dog doing that and he knows now to keep his head in an empty box, right? Now we have to start making it more difficult to keep his head in an empty box. So we do, we bring in the, the bozu ball again or whatever it is that we were using to keep his head in the box and we can start starting to distract him out of the box. Now, this is the dedicated model where you're going to start early distracting him out of, the, out of an empty box. When he knows his job is to keep his head in an empty box and indicate on an article and you're trickling food in, we start distracting him out. If you don't want an article indication and if you want to go through this quicker, you can start trying to distract them out of the box when you've still got the whole mound of food in there. Mm-hmm. The rules are the same. If you can get him to pull his head out and stop eating or stop indicating on the article, the session ends and he gets another opportunity later. Now that's where you always have to be careful and give the dog an opportunity to win, mm. all right? This is where I've had people go too much too soon and they do whatever the trigger is that the dog has a problem with. Like say it's a pool pump is one of the things. They immediately just turn the pool pump on. Of course the dog pulls out and swings and looks at the pool pump. If that's your panacea, you finally want to get the dog good at the pool pump. There's a lot of steps in between there. It could be just clapping, could be... Um, it, well, the first thing I usually do is just pat the dog, right? So pat the dog while he's got his head in the box. And if he looks up, then the box gets pulled away. We Put a little bit of opposition reflex, like try and pull him just a little bit out of the box. If he comes out of the box, box gets put away. And you can build up to some pretty intense stuff. Like I'll put, I'll post the video of Remy when he was very young and I was doing this. I think he's like 12 weeks or something in the video. And I've mm. got a leaf blower trying to blow him out of the box. And I used a can curtain and was shaking that all over him and as much distraction as you can possibly think of and build to. Mm. So give the dog the opportunity to to win. So start low, build up. Exactly. Mm. And so the dog is indicating on what it, the item, you're trickling food in. As he sniffs on the item, you're trickling food and you're also distracting him along the way. If you intend to do any sort of bite sports with the dog, this is a great opportunity to completely desensitize your clatter stick. Mm -hmm. So you're rattling the stick, he sniffs, throw food. Rattle the stick, he sniffs, throw food. Pat him with the stick, give him little taps with the stick as you're throwing food into the box. Now, the whole point is that you're teaching the dog to stay in a behavior throughout distractions. Mm -hmm. And the behavior is something as simple as keeping his head in the box. And he does that happily because there's a long history now of being fed in the box. All of his food is coming from the box and he knows that if I pull my head out, it'd have I to stop be- getting f- paid. Yeah, and it'd have to be for a significant event to do that. Mm. And we slowly build up to where that significant event is more and more and more to the point where the dog's head is glued in the box. Mm. Now, if you want to do sport and you're just doing this to toughen the dog, that's pretty much where it ends, right? You've- you, You've got everything you can think of. The, bo- the dog has his head in the box. He's indicating on your article, you're trickling food. You're slowly increasing the time between food delivery and varying what the food delivery, like from one piece to several pieces, whatever. And you're able to click the dog out. And while he's got his head in the box, you're able to put pressure on him in the form of whatever uh, distraction you're likely to encounter in your discipline, whatever it is, right? So like most things, where you're building on behavior, you're 
starting on a continual schedule of reinforcement. Exactly. Continually getting the dog, well, continually feeding the dog. After a period of time, moving over to a varied schedule. So the dog starts realising, I didn't get fed that time, but if I stay in behaviour, work a little harder, hopefully it will come. So you're building on hope. Exactly. Yep. And using along the way the distractions that you're likely to encounter to try and get the dog out. So Sam actually took this even further than I did with his dog Reckless and he, that dog was glued in the box, couldn't mm. get her out. He had like an air compressor, he's throwing bottles on her, trying to physically move, take the box away. One of the things I do as well is like kick the box around um, so the dog has to manoeuvre and stay in. Whatever you can think of to make it difficult but reasonable for the dog yep. to keep its head in the box. All this seems so simple and laughable, but it makes the dog so strong, it's almost unbelievable. Mm. And so what the dog is learning is that I have to overcome all these fears, all these things that could, first of all, distract me out of a behavior, a known behavior. So that's going to help you in your obedience and everything later on. Learning how to keep your head in an empty box is pretty sterile sort of thing, but that's really definitely going to transfer to staying in a heel later on and you know, whatever your discipline is, whatever you need the dog to do, the dog's learning to do it with focus. Mm. It's learning to focus on one particular thing and, it, and then it can transfer that to whatever your discipline is. So you you showed this to Alice, didn't you, with her German Shepherd? Mm-hmm. And uh, I was watching, well, you can see the transformation in the behaviour he's gone through from being a dog that has quite a few social issues and he's improving yeah, and, and significantly. It's, and it's really indirect. This is so... You know, normally if a dog has, say, doesn't like men, right, the first thing we want to do is start trying to introduce a dog to men and people say get men to feed the dog and you're just asking the dog to confront the fear head on mm. and it can just be too much, right? So we teach the dog to eat in the box and then we, we teach to stay in this behaviour and now we transition that eventually to there's a man that's actually trickling the food in because the good thing about the box being covered up is if you start doing it like the sides of the box being solid, if you start getting other people to help you with this, and stand around, the dog doesn't know who's delivering that food, right? Mm. Look, eventually in any type of desensitization program that you're doing, the dog has to be aware and confront the fear. Otherwise, it's not you're not going to achieve your ultimate goal. Exactly. However, with this, it's a nice way to introduce it rather than, as you said, make it head on. Yeah, it's on. not so head on. Yeah, it's not so head on and the dog is not it, – it's not so acute with, yeah. with what the dog has to endure. And the dog learns, say, you can have – someone else, pat, you're initially patting the dog, like I said, while his head's in the box, and then that can become other people patting the dog. Mm. And the dog has to learn to be touched by other people while he keeps his head in the box. And the consequence is dire in that the food is taken away. And the next day we set up the exact same scenario. Now I've got a hungrier dog and we maybe, when I say exact same, we dial it back to a point where the dog is confronted with the same problem, but in a way that it's more likely to succeed. When you're talking about people who find it difficult to stay in a program like this, the whole feeding thing is an emotional thing for them as well. And that, that's a that's a quitting point for them as well. 100%. I, I think that it is the most difficult thing mm. the average person can do to their dog is leave it hungry for even a short period of time. And dogs, you know, so many dogs, how many pet dogs do you see that are like obese and really suffering a lot of issues just around that being overweight? Uh, yeah. If you listen to Rodney Habib in one of his podcasts, he talks about an experiment where they did, which he's not recommending by any means, but it was an experiment nonetheless, which, are, you know, we're going to be talking about behaviour in another podcast and, you know, the consequences of things that they had to do to achieve certain goals. So Rodney talks about how in some experiment they did, and I'll find out for for the listeners and put it on the um, online as well. 
so they can actually get involved in that experiment. So what happened was over a period of time they didn't feed a dog. They literally just weren't feeding it to see how long the dog could go without food. And I think it lasted for 100-plus days Wow! where they gave it water and uh, eventually the dog jumped the fence and took off or something like that. So they were wanting to see what the impact was on its organs and bodily function it, and obviously it lost a lot of weight, looked quite malnourished and so forth, but uh, it survived that endure, that entire time and endured it and it was they eventually fed it and fattened it back up again, but they were curious to see what would happen if they just didn't feed a dog. Yeah, right. So, wow, um, that's a tough experiment. To it's put. A, a very tough experiment. Going a day or two without your full amount of food is not something that I think most people have to worry about. We've kind of cultured and have this systematic belief that we need to constantly eat all the time. In fact, fasting has been shown the benefits that it has on your brain, your organs, your general well-being, which is why a lot of cultures engage in periodic fasting. So, Yeah. Well, it's fun. I mean, we're slightly off topic, but I mean, on topic as well, like I used to, you know, I like to play stupid diets. I do all kinds of Which you're doing things. now yeah. as we speak. <laughs> yeah. Mm. Uh, but one that I- Tell people about the- Diet that you've just started. Oh, I'm going to start. Okay. I'm, uh, in January, I'm going to just eat meat. I'm going full <laughs> carnivore and I intended only eat meat for an entire month. But anyway, that's another topic. I used to do fasting like I used to I used to not eat on a Monday. So my last meal would be uh, Sunday night and I wouldn't eat until Tuesday lunchtime. Yep. And on the Monday night, I was actually the most, felt the best that I would feel during the week. How did you feel during the day? On the Monday I was never that hungry. The, the problem was when you get up and know that you can't eat for the day, all you can think about is food. Yep. All right. But like if you're busy, it was never a problem. If mm. I could keep myself busy, it was never a hunger issue. It enacted a part of me that had me, like I was very efficient. I'd get a lot of work done. I'd like even just computer work done because I just felt like I needed to do something. I guess that's the the hunter is awakened. Like you need to act in order to bring food. But anyway, that's that's another topic. I'm not ignorant to how difficult it is for people, and I find it extremely difficult myself, to not feed your dog for a day or to give your dog the opportunity to eat, have him miss it, and you just have to say, well, we try again tomorrow. Mm-hmm. I find that very difficult. I know that other people find it difficult, bordering impossible. Some people do find it impossible, and that's why this system can't work for them, especially when you have two dogs and one dog gets to eat because it does well or it's not on the same program and the other one doesn't. I don't feed them in front of each other in that circumstance, <laughs> uh, but still just knowing that you feel you feel like a bit of a jerk, like you get the special treatment and you get nothing. It is for the dog's benefit you are making it strong and you are teaching it the consequence of giving in to the minor distractions that it has. And you've got to do that in the early phases so that it is just the distractions that the dog is receiving that withholding of the food for and not the the big the thing that we want to overcome anyway, right? So we don't want that to be too early and then the dog then goes, oh, well, when that comes, I don't even get fed, right? It needs to be, I learned the rules of this game on simple distractions before the big ticket comes up. That's, as I say, if you're just working to a program and you've got a, a normal dog and you want to make it as strong as you can, that's pretty much where it ends, right? And I still do this probably probably once a week with my dog. I feed him in the box and I make his life just a little bit difficult while he's getting fed in the box. Mm -hmm. And by that, and when I say make it difficult, I mean, I intend to compete in protection sports with the dog and there's known accessories that gets used. There's a list of accessories that gets used and then you can be um, more creative in that as well. So like a clatter stick and a bottle full of rocks and a can curtain and those sorts of things. 
things that are uh, auditory distractions and also can be used to that can be used on the dog like they make contact with the dog so the cans get draped over his body while he's eating and that yep. sort of thing the the bottle of rocks get shaken like a maraca around his body so that to him things that a decoy will try and distract him with later are just like no that means nothing to me right i've been experiencing this since i was 12 weeks old nothing bad has ever happened to me around those things so sure as hell ain't going to happen to me now so it just means nothing to go straight through it uh if anything they're a cue to work harder to work harder that's yeah, it to stay and focused exactly mm. But if you have a specific issue with your dog and say your dog is terrified of trucks going down the street, now we confront that. So your dog's happily keeping its head in the box, trickling food. We know that that's happening in your house. You've made it a little bit more distracting. You're doing, you're kicking her pots and pans around the house. It keeps its head in the box. Now we take it outside. The point to remember now is you probably have to drop your criteria a little bit, right? And so maybe go back to more food in the box initially and trickling food in to keep him in there. And we start working the box closer and closer towards whatever the dog's ultimate fear or problem, whatever you're doing this for to overcome, start working the box closer and closer to that. Important point just to interject there is that, again, this is one of the things that the dog needs to dictate on how close it can actually move towards the eliciting stimuli. Exactly. And which is the thing it's afraid of. Exactly. And if there's a, sensitive to. a little bit of fear and hesitation is what we want. Just mm. a little bit where the dog can overcome it and get in the box. And if he chooses not to, then, or he gives up early, we go, that's fine, but that's food you're not getting. Well, it's not so much that you want the dog to be a little bit afraid of it. What you want the dog is to be aware of it to begin yeah. with. So um, there's one thing to be aware. There's another thing to be afraid. When you're afraid, it forces a response. So the actual, yeah, we definitely want the dog to be aware of it. We want the dog to be, to know it's there and to know that it's it's present because nothing will happen without that. What we and that itself, as you said, will bring on a little bit of wow, what's going on here? Mm-hmm. You know, the the dog will be um, subjected to thinking. Hopefully, this doesn't get too close to me. But after a period of time, with the process that you're talking about, or any systematic desensitization program that you're working with you'll find that the dog will start realising it's it's there, you know, I can cope with it, nothing nothing bad is happening. It didn't yesterday, it didn't the day before that and funnily enough I'm a little closer to it and, you know, the boss isn't worried about it, maybe I shouldn't don't, don't need to be as well. Yeah. The, the difference with this program to most or other desensitisation counter conditioning, which is all we're doing in mm. this, is the box becomes a big cue to the dog. The box with the item in it, is the restaurant is open and that's my opportunity. Yep. And so the, when it sees the, the stimulus that it's concerned about and the box, it has the opportunity to just like run to the box, stick my head in there like a kid putting his head under the under the pillow and being terrified, saying the monsters aren't there. It's the mm. exact same scenario the dog can go through where he sticks his head in there and he's like, I am taking myself out of that and putting myself in here where good things will happen. And we can slowly move that box a little bit closer to where the, the problem is. I'm aware there's nothing revolutionary here. This is just desensitizing counter condition. But that element of having the box as the present, uh, the cue that good things can happen. You don't have to confront your fear head on. You can you can stick your head in the sand or AKA box and just experience good things around the bad thing. But it's only it's it's also that it's a catalyst to leading to other behaviours that you can shape around it as exactly. well. So that's why there's nothing to lose from doing this. Like mm. I said, with my dog that has has no issues with anything, there's nothing to lose by doing this, making him strong, learning him to stay in behaviour in spite of distractions. Yeah. The the people I've got doing this, and that, that's pretty much the end game, right? You, you bring this forward. 
the the box gets close to the thing, the thing starts interacting with the dog if that's possible. Say if it's men wearing a blue hat mm-hmm. that the dog is worried about, <laughs> eventually you've got a man wearing a blue hat patting the dog while he's in the presence of the box. The box can be taken away and the, the dog can start taking food from the hand of the man wearing the blue hat if that's the, the problem. Whatever your problem is, you but work Pat, towards it. Dogs are colorblind. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, the men wearing sunglasses. Okay, right. what color were they? Doesn't matter. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so uh, that's the program feeding the box. Yep. The, the the other things that happen, and I've got say uh, feedback I've had on this is that say I had a client that has or a friend really that has a dog that is problematic at the vet, and they're doing the box. They're on their way. They're not at the point where they fixed the problem at the vet. They're still working on that. Mm. But there's a thunderstorm the other day and normally that caused a huge problem for the dog and the dog didn't care, right? So we're already improving other areas of the dog's life and nice. making the dog stronger and we're creating just a, a generally tougher dog. Resilience. That, resilience that mm. can experience a bit of hardship, a bit of difficulty and just get through it because knowing that I've done this before, I'll do it again and it, it doesn't mean anything really other than the opportunity to miss out. That's, that's, you change the paradigm in the dog's brain that the, the thing that I was formerly scared of mm. can't hurt me. It hasn't in the past, but all it can do is give me the opportunity to miss out. So I should engage more during that. And that's, the, that's probably the, the simplest, most unscientific way of explaining that what people report back to me what they see with their dog getting stronger. Mm. And you build some tough dogs, man. Like the, the experience I've had with people following this through and certainly my dog – as I say, he didn't have any issues, so I've just made him tougher, right? And I've taught him to stay in behavior. But there's nothing I, I've been able to throw at that dog that has concerned him in any way, shape, or form. N- nothing Except, upsets him. Um, finishing a training session, yeah, that and putting him back in the car, yeah, that, that that's about it. Yeah, that upset when he puts on the brakes and hunks down <laughs> yeah. and won't won't leave. I think that's about the only time I've seen that dog jam up. Yeah, that's it. When he realizes, which is a great thing to be honest. I mean, yeah. if you if your dog is at that point in his life where he's saying the worst possible thing is to stop training. Yeah, don't put that, me away. That's a great thing. Yeah. It's, it's a great thing. It's I mean, it's, it's it's something that many people who are involved in training or owning a good dog, that's uh, that's a good problem to have. Yeah, 100%. It's kind of a short episode. I just wanted to explain that. I mean, the reason we're doing this is I was typing it all out again to someone today because I love to give this away. I, this is, I, have, I obviously have clients that I make do this and I'm getting paid on those days. But anyone that asks, I tell them about the, the box. All over my Facebook, I've got videos of me using the box. I've got the dimensions. I've got everything of all my stuff. This mm. is not um, its not proprietary, right? Anyone no, you've can, been very generous with helping people with this. I, I love to do it and I'm- Jasmine's she, doing it too, isn't she? She did, yeah. She did, yeah. I don't think she needs to anymore. Yeah, no, she's, uh, her dog's name is Jenta. So Jenta, uh, Jenta and Jazz did the program and, you know, she was a little skitty at the start as well. You know, Toughens she, them up like you can't believe. Toughens and it, them up. It just doesn't- it almost makes no sense how strong you can get the dog from just feeding them in this box. Mm. And I think the big eye opener for a lot of people and there's when you, when people are like, Oh, I've been trying to say the dog has issues outside and they're trying to lure the dog through a difficult situation. They're not having a good time. Say they've got a dog that the traffic is, is a classic one I've used this for many times and they're trying to jack the dog up and get it all excited and then bring it through traffic. And they, you know, one out of 10, the dog manages to follow whatever, excitement they brought out the ball that they've whipped around or food or whatever whatever it is and the dog manages to get through traffic mm. and then when i get that food and i throw it in a box that the dog can just easily put its head in and chooses not to 
that's often confronting to people. And I say, we can't train. We're not ready to train. We got to start here and we build up, right? Because the, there isn't enough value in this food. It's like, it's like if you're absolutely terrified of spiders and you're telling me like here is $1 if you go near the spider, it's not worth it to me, right? Mm, mm. But if you if I have no dollars and you change the 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 currency on me, right? So that like $1 is I need and that's the I can buy everything that I need because I have nothing else with that $1, I'm going to go near the spider. So it's the same sort of thing. We have to increase the currency of the food that we have. Mm. And it's confronting for people when they realize that the currency isn't even worth sticking your head in the box. The dog won't do that. That's when we know that first we don't have ignition from the dog. The dog's not willing to work and maybe we're spoiling the dog or maybe we're overfeeding the dog, but things are too easy on the dog. And Mm. we need to make things just a little bit more difficult and let the dog understand that through difficulty and through a little bit of hardship, good things come. A lot of times when I'm working in training programs and I'm talking to general public about working with their dogs, I relate it to a cost versus value. What's it going to cost me? What's the value of it to me? Mm -hmm. Um, Pretty much the same sort of thing you're talking about. We consciously make decisions on a day-to-day basis, like the analogy you just used of going near the spider. And dogs primarily do the same thing. What's the cost? What's the value? Mm -hmm. If it equates to something that's quite valuable to them, you'll start seeing a pickup and improvement in behaviour. 100%. 100%. All right, so we've talked about the box. Mm-hmm. What's the challenge? Well, what, what can we make it? Who can keep their, who's got their dog keeping their head in an empty box for the longest? What, that, what I'd love to see is who, not only who can get their dog to keep their head in the box the longest, but what will the dog endure while its head's in the box? And nothing cruel or untoward, like no stupidity or anything like that. I don't want to see you clubbing your dog with a... With no a, physical contact. Yeah, like not with an old man's cane or something like that. But... <laughs> <laughs> What will the dog, uh, like some sort of social distraction? Yeah, that's it. Some of the dog, you can... Like a leaf blower or... Yeah, that's the idea. And that's anything that the dog will, exactly as I say, in sports, there's usually a list. There's a, this is the allowed accessories, they call it, Mm. right? So if you can have your dog keeping his head in the box... With out of drive, really, or in the lowest state of drive. While other dogs are running around, while kids are running around, while yeah. blowing up party poppers or something like that. Exactly. If your mm. dog can keep his head in a box Vacuum throughout cleaner. that kind of distraction, he sure as hell ain't going to have a problem in drive around that type of distraction. It's it's not going to be an issue. So it's worth the effort. I'd love to see heaps of people doing it. Let's not make it a challenge. Let's just say, hey, let's... It, let's make it a mission. Yeah. As many people as can, can be... To, to get involved in this. I'd love to see more people doing it. And I personally would just love to see the feedback, especially if you are a professional dog trainer and you are listening, give the technique a go first on your own dog and make your own dog as strong as it can be. Yeah. And, and tell us what, uh, what improvement you've seen and what benefit the dog has gained from performing the exercise. Yeah. And, and as I say, if you are, if you are a dog trainer, this is an opportunity to, or if you do intend to train your dog for a a nose work purpose is an opportunity to implement your scent. If you intend to do tracking, have your article in the box. If you intend to do any nose works, you can have your scent in the box. And so the dog is learning to indicate a passive indication on that scent mm-hmm. and while you're causing distractions. And, and then it's not wasted time if you already have a strong dog. You're, you're also teaching your dog to indicate on an article, which is exactly how I did my article indication. It's just that was the, the initially a glass jar and he'll do whatever's in the box. He'll just put his nose on it. I've seen videos that you've put on again online where um, Remy comes over and sticks his nose straight on top of a washer that you just put on the ground. Yeah. Yeah. And so that is hundred percent just taught from the box. The only mm. thing you then have to teach is because he can't down, 
in the box. He then needs to you then later have you to cue it of, later yeah. on when he's developed the behaviour. Yeah, mm. but the the whole article indication is there, and it's mm. not. I never had to go. Okay, now I'm going to teach my article indication. Not that I would have anyway, because I don't have any reason for it. It's not, I'm not going to do any tracking or anything. But I've got I've got it there. It's in there, and he can he can he'll find the object with human scent. If I throw it, he'll find it, stick his nose on it and down. Nice. Um, all from just his box feeding. So it was a, a way to double up. And the only reason I did that was because he just kept, it was hard to keep his head out of the box. He would just, if he saw it mm. and I had it on, like I've got these shelving racking in my garage and had it on the third shelf and he'd find a way to scramble up there to stick his head in an empty box. So I was like, okay, we, we need a, we need a, a way of, of turning this on and off, uh, which we did. Cool. Um, so that's it. That's it from episode four. That's it from episode four. So a short one. I think next episode we're probably going to be starting to talk about some of the behaviorists. Yeah. We realized even in talking about what we do today that there's some definitions that we probably need to just explain to everyone and bring mm. everyone on net. We realize that not everyone that's listening probably knows all those definitions. So we're going to cover Some training off. language. Yeah, exactly. So we'll just put everyone on net with you know, classical conditioning, operant conditioning, probably extinction. What are the other ones? Matrix of motivation. Exactly. So just, it'll be a little bit technical. We'll just explain those things so that Schedules when we- Schedules of reinforcement. Exactly. So when we use those terms later on, you go, oh, okay, we know what he's talking about. And mm. um, if, if you're, it's probably good for some people to just have a refresher on that as well. Yeah. So that's it from episode four. If you want to get in contact with us, you can do so on Facebook. We're there, the Canine Paradigm. We'd love to hear anything from you. Post videos of you working your dogs with the head in the box. Mm. Um, you can probably the best way to get in contact is, is, is with us that way. Uh, as always, if you like what you're listening to, please get on iTunes or whatever, wherever it is that you're listening to us through and give us a review. Oh, yeah. Reviews and suggestions are always welcome. Yeah, always welcome. Helps us get in touch with people and get people listening that we can't just harass and ask to listen to our <laughs> podcast. It makes people, helps people find us by themselves, which is helpful. Anything else, Glenn? For now, I think that's it. Thank you very much, mate. I've very helpful lesson on what the actual box work is. Cool. Um, so. I hope people use it. Anyway, all right, cue the music. <laughs>